everyone, welcome back to my podcast. I am your host, Isabel Gutierrez, and we are going to continue reading The Scarlet Letter, Chapter 4, The Interview. Now, without further ado, happy listening! After her return to the prison, Hester Prine was found to be in a state of nervous excitement that demanded constant watchfulness lest she should perpetrate violence on herself or do some half-furnized mischief to the poor babe. As night approached, it proving impossible to quell her insubordination by rebuke or threats of punishment, Master Brackett, the jailer, thought fit to introduce a physician. He described him as a man of skill in all Christian modes of physical science, and likewise familiar with whatever the savage people could teach in respect to medicinal herbs or and roots that grew in the forest. To say the truth, there was much need of professional assistance, not merely for Hester herself, but still more urgently for the child who, drawing its sustenance from the maternal bosom, seemed to have drank in with it all the turmoil and anguish and despair which pervaded the mother's system. It now withered in convulsions of pain and was a forcible type in its little frame of the moral agony which Hester Prine had borne throughout the day. Closely following the jailer into the dismal apartment appeared that individual of singular aspect whose presence in the crowd had been such deep interest to the wearer of the scarlet letter. He was lodged in the prison, not as suspected of any offense, but as most convenient and suitable mode of disposing of him, until the magistrates should have conferred with the Indian sagamores respecting his ransom. His name was announced as Roger Chillingworth. The jailer, after ushering him into the room, remained a moment, marveling at the comparative quiet that followed his entrance, for Hester Prine had immediately become as still as death, although the child continued to moan. Prithee, friend, leave me alone with my patient, said the practitioner. Trust me, good jailer, you shall briefly have peace in your house, and I promise you, Mistress Prine shall hereafter be more amenable to just authority than you may have found her heretofore. Nay, if your worship can accomplish that, answered Master Brackett, I shall own you for man of skill indeed. Verily, the woman hath been a possessed one, and there lacks little that I should take in hand to drive Satan, Satan out of her with stripes. The stranger had entered the room with the characteristic quietude of the profession to which he announced himself as belonging. Nor did his demeanor change when the withdrawal of the prison keeper left him face to face with the woman, whose absorbed notice of him in the crowd had imitated so close a relation between herself, himself and her. His first care was given to the child, whose cries, indeed, as she lay withering on the trundle bed, made it a prementory necessity to postpone all other businesses 
to task of soothing her. He examined the infant carefully and then proceeded to unclasp the leathern case, which he took from beneath his dress. It appeared to contain medical preparations, one of which he mingled with a cup of water. My old studies in alchemy, observed he, and my so sojourn for above a year past among a people well versed in the, the kindly properties of simples have made a better physician of me than many that claim a medical degree here woman the child is yours she is none of mine neither will she recognize my voice or aspect as father's administer this draught therefore with thine own hand Hester repelled the offered medicine, at the same time gazing with strongly marked apprehension to his, into his face. Wouldst thou avenge thyself on the innocent babe, whispered she? Foolish woman, responded the physician, half coldly, half sooth soothingly. What should ail me to harm this misbegotten and miserable babe? The medicine is potent for good, and... Were it my child, yeah, mine own, as well as thine, I could do no better for it. As she still hesitated, being, in fact, in no reasonable state of mind, he took the infant in his arms and himself administered the draught. It soon proved its efficacy and redeemed the leeches pledged. The moans of the little patient subsided, its convulsive tossing gradually ceased, and in a few moments, as in the custom of young children after relief from pain, it sank into profound and dewy slumber. The physician, as had a fair right to be termed, next bestowed his attention on the mother. With calm and intense scrutiny, he felt her pulse, looked into her eyes, a gaze that made her heart shrink and shudder, because so familiar and yet so strange and cold. And finally, satisfied with his investigation, proceeded to mingle another draught. I know not leith or nor nepenthe, remarked he, but I have learned many new secrets in the wilderness, and here is one of them, a recipe that an Indian taught me in requital of some lessons of my own that were as old as Periclesis. Drink it. It may be less soothing than the sinless conscience that I cannot give thee, but it will calm and swell the heaving, calm the swell and heaving of thy passion like oil thrown on the waves of a tempestuous sea. He presented the cup to Hester, who received it with a slow, earnest look into his face, not precisely a look of fear, yet full of doubt and questioning as to what his purposes might be. She looked also at her slumbering child. I have thought of death, said she, have wished for it, would even have prayed for it, were it fit that such as I should pray for anything. Yet, if death be in this cup, I bid thee think again, Eerie thou beholdst me quaff it. See, it is even now at my lips. Drink it then, replied he, still with the same old composure. 
Dost thou know me so little, Hester Prine? Are my purposes won't be so shallow? Even if I imagine a scheme of vengeance, what could I do better for my object than to let thee live, than to give thee medicines against all harm and peril of life, so that this burning shame may still blaze upon thy bosom? He, as he spoke, he laid his long forefinger on the scarlet leather, which forthwith seemed to scorch into Hester's breast as if it had been red hot. He noticed her involuntary gesture and smiled. Live, therefore, and bear about the doom with thee in the eyes of men and women, in the eyes of him whom thou didst call thy husband, in the eyes of yonder child, and that thou mayest live, take off this draught. Without further expositation or delay, Hester Prine drained the cup and, at the motion of the man of skill, seated herself on the bed where the child was sleeping, while he drew only a chair which the room afforded and took his own seat beside her. She could not but tremble at these preparations, for she felt that, having now done all that humanity or principle or if it were a refined cruelty impelled him to do for the relief of physical suffering. He was next to treat with her as the man whom she had most deeply and irreparably injured. Hester, said he, I ask not wherefore nor how thou hast fallen into the pit, or say rather thou hast ascended into the pedestal of infamy on which I found thee. The reason is not far to seek. It was my folly and thy weakness. I, a man of thought, the bookworm of great libraries, a man already in decay, having given my best years to feed the hungry dream of knowledge, that I, what I had to do with youth and beauty like thine own. Misshapen from my birth hour, how could I delude myself with the idea that intellectual gifts might veil physical deformity in a younger girl's fantasy? Men call me wise. If sages were ever wise in their own behoof, I might have foreseen all this. I might have known that as I came out of the vast and dismal forest and entered this settlement of Christian men, the very first object to meet my eyes would be thyself, Hester Prine, standing up, a statue of ignominy before the people. Nay, from the moment when we came down the old church steps together, a married pair, I might have beheld the bale fire of that scarlet leather blazing at the end of our path. Thou knowest, said Hester, for depressed as she was, she could not endure this last quiet stab at the token of her shame. Thou knowest that I was frank with thee. I felt no love, nor feigned any. True, replied he, it was my folly, I have said it, but up to that epoch of my life, I had lived in vain. The world had been so cheerless, my heart was a habitation large enough for many guests, but only but lonely and chill, and without household fire. I longed to kindle one. It seemed not so wild a dream. 
old as I was, and somber as I was, and misshapen as I was, that the simple bliss which is scattered far and wide for all mankind to gather up might yet be mine. And so, Hester, I drew thee into my heart, into its innermost chamber, and sought to warm thee with the warmth which thy presence made there. I have greatly wronged thee, murmured Hester. We have wronged each other, answered he. Mine was the first wrong, when I betrayed thy budding youth into a false and unnatural relation with my decay. Therefore, as a man who has thought and philosophized in vain, I seek no vengeance, plot nor no evil against thee. Between thee and me, the scale hangs fairly balanced. But, Hester, the man lives who has wronged us both. Who is he? Ask me not, replied Hester Prine, looking firmly into his face, that thou shalt never know. Never sayest thou, rejoined he with a smile of dark and self-relying intelligence. Never know him. Believe me, Hester, there are few things, whether in this outward world or a certain depth, in the invisible sphere of thought, few things hidden from the man who devotes himself earnestly and unreservedly unreservedly to the solution of a mystery. Thou mayest cover up thy secret from the prying multitude. Thou mayest conceal it, too, from the ministers and magistrates, even as thou didst, didst today, this day, when they sought to wrench the name out of thy heart and give thee a partner on thy pedestal. But, as for me, I come to the inquest with other senses than they possess. I shall seek this man, and I have sought truth in books, as I have sought gold in alchemy. There is a sympathy that will make me conscious of him. I shall see him tremble. I shall feel myself shudder suddenly and un 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 unawares. Soon or later, sooner or later, he must needs be mine. The eyes of the wrinkled scholar glowed so intensely upon her that Hester Prine clasped her hands over her heart, dreading lest he should read the secret there at once. Thou wilt not reveal his name, not the less he is mine, resumed he, with a look of confidence, as if destiny were at one with him. He bears no leather of infamy wrought into his garment, and thou dost... But I shall read it on his heart. Yet fear not for him. Think not I shall interfere with heaven's own method of retribution, or to my own loss betray him to the gripe of human law. Neither do thou imagine that I shall contrive aught against his life, no, nor against his fame, if, as I judge, he be a man of fair repute. Let him live. Let him hide himself in outward honor, if he may, not the less he shall be mine. Thy acts are like mercy, said Hester, bewildered and appalled, but thy words interpret, interpret thee as a terror. One thing, thou that wast my wife, I would enjoin upon thee, continued the scholar, thou hast kept the secret of thy paramour. Keep likewise mine. There is none in this land that know me, Breathe not to any human soul that thou didst ever call me husband. Here, on this wild outskirt of earth, I shall pitch my tent, for 
elsewhere a wanderer and isolated of from human interests. I find here a woman, a man, a child, amongst whom and myself there exists the closest ligament. No matter whether of love or hate, no matter whether of right or wrong, thou and thine, Hester Prime, belong to me. My home is where thou art and where he is, but betray me not. Wherefore doest thou desire it? inquired Hester, shrinking, she hardly knew why, from this secret bond. Why not announce thyself openly and cast me off at once? It may be, he replied, because I will not encounter the dishonor that bemerches the husband of a faithless woman. It may be for other reasons. Enough, it is my purpose to live and die unknown. Let, therefore, thy husband be to the world as one already dead, and of whom no tidings shall ever come. Recognize me not, by word, by sign, by look. Breathe not the secret above all to the man thou wottest of. Should thou fail me in this, beware. His fame, his position, his life will be in my hands. Beware. I will keep thy secret as I have this, said Hester. Swear it, rejoined he. And she took the oath. And now, Mistress Prine, said old Roger Chillingworth, as he was there hereafter to be named, I will leave thee alone, alone with thy infant and the scarlet leather. How is it, Hester? Doth thy sentence bind thee to wear the token in thy sleep? Are thou not afraid of nightmares and hideous dreams? Why doest thou smile so at me? inquired Hester, troubled at the expression in his eyes. Art thou like the black man that haunts the forest around us? Hast thou enticed me into a bond that will prove to the ruin of my soul? Not thy soul, he answered with another smile. No, not thine. And that was chapter four. Um, the plot thickens. Well, not actually, but we did get some answers to some of the questions that, um, arose uh, last chapter about the misshapen man, the, our shoulder guy, our shoulder man, like we called him last time. Um, now, last time we went ahead, because remember, we're a team. We went ahead and we made the prediction that the man, he, he has something to do with the child. Now, we formulated that hypothesis, and you know, a hypothesis is either proven correct or it's proven wrong. And this time, our hypothesis was proven wrong in the terms in the terms that he had something to do with the child, but no, he doesn't. But our other our other hypothesis, which regarded um him and hester knowing each other and that they are linked together somehow we don't we didn't know how now we do but we didn't know how is confirmed in this chapter now this chapter is called the interview so a quick recap of this chapter hester goes back to the prison she's in her sale cell 
and she her her nerves are altered she's all well she just she just got publicly humiliated for three hours and now she knows that she has to wear this scarlet leather for the rest of her life so who wouldn't who wouldn't be a, a bit jittery and jumpy and nervous in the in the jail cell y- your mind starts to think about the future and stuff right and the child obviously being three hours out in the open because it was a sunny day remember uh imagery description of the book um it was a sunny day three hours there crying and hester not being able to attend to the child obviously the child would also be restless so they send a a physician a practitioner to the cell and who is this practitioner but our mr shoulder guy now he enters and at first the jail master he was kind of hesitant to leave them alone but he was so tired and he was so done with hester's attitude that he just you know didn't care and now we're left with these two characters alone and it is revealed to us that it is hester's husband well ex-husband now because he tells her that he doesn't want to be recognized as her husband that it's going to be their little secret right so we find out that shoulder guy he is hester's husband and he's talking to her and he's interviewing her that's that's the name of the chapter he is in a sense interviewing her because i mean he appears right and the first thing he sees is his wife in a pedestal of shame with a scarlet leather and an infant a baby who's not even his it's not his he's not the father right so obviously he does know some backstory because he talked to the townsman that um spilled the beans if you will to him but he asks hester once again who is the man who did this to her because it conceiving a baby is a two-person job you can't you're not planned you can't perform photosynthesis and you know uh, pump out a baby. You, you, it's a two-person um, job, two-person task. And he asks for the name of the man. And for some rest, for, for some reason, Hester still doesn't want to say who the man was, and we don't know why. We don't know why. And it's oh god, and it's really irking me it's really bugging me because i want to know why but at least the book is doing our job and it's doing its job and you know it's enticing us to want to read more right anyways that aside um good writing aside uh and hester says no but our our shoulder man chillingsworth that's his last name chillingsworth uh he he kind of threatens he threatens her he doesn't kind of threaten her he threatens her 
he threatens her saying that, well, he is not like other men because he can see right through her and he'll find the man whether it be the last thing he does. So he really wants to know who this man is. Now he kind of strikes a bargain, strikes a deal with Hester, saying that you shall not recognize me as your husband and I shall not recognize you as my wife. Now, as a little uh, interventional pause before we continue explaining this, I'd like to point out that while they're having their conversation he well hester she says that it's her fault and he kind of um comforts her by saying that it's also his fault because he loved her but apparently hester never really loved him Yet, Hester still feels bad for for doing this to him because she was unfaithful. But we don't know why because it seems to me that Hester was not that type of woman, you know? So something definitely happened. We don't know what. We don't know what yet. Hopefully, they'll tell us because, I mean, the, the suspense is killing me. I don't know about you, but it's definitely killing me. I really want to know. Um, anyways, but we know that the relationship was never a good one and that the only thing he wanted was love and he tried with Hester and look what happened. Now, anyways, as they're, uh, continuing with our, um, earlier point, as they're talking, uh, he asks Hester for the name of the man our pregnancy man let's call him that for now (laughs) um and she says no and he says that he will find him and that the only thing he will only find him that's it that's what he says he won't do anything to the man he won't turn him in he won't interfere with the heavens or anything basically he's saying that he'll just find out who the man is and that's about it but um, the only condition is that he will not do anything to the man or, yeah, he won't do anything to the man if Hester promises not to reveal their relationship or ex-relationship or their link. He doesn't, as I said before, he doesn't want to be recognized as Hester's husband because nobody knows him here. And he doesn't want that. And he doesn't want to recognize Hester as his wife. Not because he's angry at her, because he seemed very calm and composed and even forgiven, forgiving as he was talking to Hester. So he doesn't want to be recognized, most likely for personal reasons. We don't know why, but he just doesn't want to be recognized. So that's the only thing Hester needs to do. She needs to keep their little secret and he will be on his merry way finding the man but once he finds him that's the only thing he wants to do he just wants to find out who the man was and he says that he won't do anything so hester obliges but towards the end of the chapter if i can pull it i'm gonna pull it up real quick uh 
pardon me as I look. As she, here it says, and she took the oath. Then, Roger Chillingsworth, he says, I leave thee alone, alone with thy infant and the scarlet leather. How is it, Hester? So he's asking her, how does it feel to be with the scarlet leather? Doth thy sentence bind thee to wear the token in thy sleep? Or thou not afraid of nightmares and hideous dreams? Now he's, even though he was being very calm and composed and maybe a tad bit forgiving to uh, Hester's, let's call it sin, unfaithfulness. Over here, he's kind of, he's kind of mocking her towards the end because obviously the scarlet leather is a punishment and Hester is ashamed of the punishment and she has to wear that punishment for the rest of her life. So he's asking her, oh, does it not, do you have to sleep with it as well? Or are you like not afraid of nightmares and hideous dreams because you're such a bad person, you're unfaithful, like yada, yada, yada. Well, he didn't say that obviously, but I just, kind of has that vibe. And then she answers, why dost thou smile so at me? And she had a troubled expression. Um, she had a troubled expression and she says, art thou like the black man? Now the black man is the devil's messenger or the devil himself. So she's calling him, are you the devil? that haunts around the forest around us. Hast thou enticed me into a bond that will prove to ruin my soul? Now she's talking, you know, striking a deal with the devil. That's what she's referring to, okay? She she agreed to this deal, but now she's questioning him. She's questioning the deal that will this lead to my ruin? Like, will I be in more trouble than I already am? Because my life is already as hard as it is. You just saw me be publicly humiliated for three hours. I have an infant who now doesn't have a father, but it's because I don't want to reveal his name. People want to know his name and I won't tell them for personal reasons. And now you show up out of the blue and now you're striking a bargain with me you're striking a deal with me is this deal going to cost me something that's what that's what she's that's what she tells him and he just answers very uh maybe even mysteriously and says not thy soul and then with another smile he says no not thine now he says oh no you're not gonna lose your soul but that's it He's kind of implying that, oh, you won't lose your, lose your soul, but you might lose something else. Hoo, hoo, hoo. So obviously, this can be used as, you know, some foreshadowing that something else bad is going to happen to Hester. We already have the main conflict, which is the scarlet letter, right? She committed adultery and now she's paying for her crime. So now she has to use the scarlet leather for the wear the scarlet leather for the rest of her life, and everybody in town knows that she was unfaithful and that she has a child, and nobody knows who the father is. So that is obviously the main 
conflict. But now we have our shoulder guy, Robert Chillingsworth. Stupid name. <laughs> We're not here to judge. Ignore that. Um, we have our Robert, our Robert guy, our shoulder guy up here, and now he strikes a bargain. And now that we know what the main conflict, the general conflict is, the book seems to be pointing at that the identity of this man will be one of the subcon um conflicts subconflicts so if you'd like to think about it the scarlet leather like think let's think about it in like an essay form so the scarlet leather is the theme of the essay it's the topic of the essay right and you you've written your introduction you've given you know contextualization uh you've hooked the reader cuz i'm definitely hooked in this book it's amazing um and now you're going towards your thesis statement and what do you do in your thesis statement you talk about the points that you're going to address throughout your essay now obviously one of these points is who is the man and we already have point 1 Jot it down in the thesis statement. There can be another point. It might be um. There might be two body paragraphs in this book, or there might be even three body paragraphs. We don't know, but we already know that one body paragraph is set in stone and is the identity of the man. Now, in that body paragraph, obviously, what's going to be addressed is why Hester won't reveal his name. what happened that led to the birth of this child and um the journey that Robert will partake into finding him that is if Robert actually finds him so that is all we have from chapter 4 it was an interview as the chapter suggests between Hester and Robert our shoulder man But other than that, we didn't get much about our other questions. And in this chapter, there wasn't that much imagery. And if you don't know by now, or you haven't noticed by now, I love the imagery in this book and how it's written. I'm all for it. Like you might hear me trip over my words a bit. because I'm not used to this language but I love how this book is written and I hope you enjoy it as well. But anyways, that is it for today. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter. I'll see you next time.